If you would turn in your Bibles or turn on the Bibles on your phone to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, we're going to be starting in verse 19. Uh, I'm going to read this at three different points throughout the sermon, so you're just going to have to stick a finger in there or an envelope in there so that you can get back to it. As we continue preaching through the book of James, now as I expressed last week, I'm preaching James a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to be looking at the book of James through symbols and images. So what I want to know is what are the pictures that James is using to describe what he's describing. So we're going to pay particular, particular attention to any kind of metaphor, picture, image, and try to get behind what that image is. And what you're going to find is that James is just loaded with images. He uses a lot of metaphor to describe. And so we are just going to read 19, 20, and 21 here. Now this, my beloved brothers, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be quick to hear, it said. Slow to speak and slow to anger. Don't we often do the opposite? If you want to see this, watch any channel where you're, you're getting discussion from a panel. Okay, like, like on the news. Nobody is listening to anybody. They just try to speak their point. In fact, they don't even let other people finish their points. They immediately try to speak. Our culture is totally listen opposed. We don't even know how to listen, to really hear each other, to understand and be able to repeat back what somebody else says before you speak. It's ridiculous. But that is what the text calls us to, to hear first and be slow to speak, slow to anger. I'm amazed how angry people can get really, really fast. If you drive a car, you know this, right? Like, I barely cut that guy off, and suddenly he's swerving, and I can see hand gestures, and he's ramming up, up towards my bumper, you know what I mean? People are so quick to get angry, so quick to have an emotional response. Now, now I want to say really clearly, anger is not a sin. We know that, right? Because Jesus was without sin, and he got angry. There are certain times where it's appropriate to get angry. But it's never fast twitch anger. It's never road rage anger. So I'm not even sure James is totally just saying anger here. I wonder if he means just emotions. We're quick to speak. We're quick to get emotional about stuff. But we don't pause to really listen and understand. But for James, we as Christians should be, because there's something different about us. And he has an amazing way of putting it. Something has been implanted in you. Implanted. So you can imagine the metaphor, taking out, uh, uprooting a tree in one yard and putting it in another yard. That word can also be translated engrafted. Okay, And uh, maybe you've seen this before, where you take a tree and you put a new branch in, 
And then that branch begins to grow as part of the tree. My dad has a tree that has four different kinds of apples that grow on it. Well, he did. My kids tore one of the branches down. So there's now three kinds of apples that when this tree gets bigger, it's going to have. Um, and what they did was they had one tree and they cut a slot and they put another branch from another tree and they can make that thing live still. So what James says is that happened to you. Something has been implanted in you. Something has been engrafted into you. The word, the implanted word. Now, when the Bible says word, you got to be careful whenever we use that, because because clearly in a lot of cases it's referring to scripture. But whenever it uses the word word, it's more than that. Right. Because we know from the Gospel of John that Jesus is the word became flesh. And we know in the Old Testament that God creates the word, the world through words, through speaking. And when he wants to speak to his people, the word of the Lord comes to a prophet. Word means much more than scripture. It means God's action and God's speaking in this world. God's action in this world, his speaking, his word got implanted into you, got stuck in you. And so you should be seeing that growth. You should be producing something. The righteousness of God, according to James. But anger doesn't do that. Fast twitching anger and emotions don't do that. Speaking poorly doesn't do that. What is James's metaphor here? His metaphor really is that of soil. He doesn't say that. But he talks about something being implanted in you. And therefore you should put away, you should throw away filthiness and rampant wickedness. If you've got a lot of garbage in your life, that plant is not going to grow. You're not going to produce the things that you should be producing. And, and receive, he says, with meekness, this implanted word. Now, meekness is a word a lot of us get confused about. Meekness is not the same as weakness. They sound alike. They're nothing alike. Meekness really means strength. It's really a word of strength. The word meekness really means being strong enough to not have to react strongly to things. Have you ever been around really insecure people that blow up really fast at stuff? It's like they have to bluff and they have to act tough. They're not meek. That's actually weakness. When you try to pose all that strength... Meekness really is being strong enough to not have to worry about that. Have you ever seen a really big dog around a puppy or around a little yippy dog or around? You can see videos of cats sort of batting at dogs. Big dogs can just sit there and look. They don't have to worry about this puppy. When do they worry about the puppy? When they get hurt, when the puppy bites them, then they react. But normally a big dog will just look at a little dog. That's meekness. Meekness is being secure enough to not have to overreact. Being strong enough to not have to bluff how strong you are. And so for James, when this word is implanted in you, if it's going to grow into something, if we're going to see righteousness in your life that ought to happen, then you've got to be meek. You've got to be secure enough in who you are that you don't have to bluff everything. You don't have to get loud. You don't have to get angry. You don't have to speak. You can sit and listen, he continues to describe it here in verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. James is not battling between faith and works. That's the way a lot of times James is read in comparison to Paul. That Paul wants faith and James wants works and they're different. James says, no. If you really hear this gospel message, you have to live your life differently. You can't just be a hearer. If you really hear, you got to be a doer. And to, you, to, to, to pull that metaphor apart, he uses the image of a mirror. For James, Christianity is not a sport of fans. We all know how to be fans, right? We can be a fan of the Steelers. But it's totally different to coach on the sidelines than coach on the couch. A lot of us are really good at coaching on the couch as to what the Steelers are doing. It's very different to be on the sidelines, right? We can play quarterback from our armchair. But that's a lot different than playing quarterback in the pocket. Christianity is an on-the-field sport. It's not a spectator sport. James expects you to be a doer. And if you are not, it's like a person who looks in the mirror and then goes away from the mirror and forgets what they look like. Mirrors in these days would have been pretty rare. They were typically bronze and very polished. Bronze tarnishes. So if you had a mirror, you had to really keep up with it. It would have been expensive. If it got dented at all, it would, it would warp the, the picture of you. And so probably in your whole town, the person you knew the least about what they looked like was you. We have mirrors, but they really did not have a lot of mirrors. Probably you could forget what you looked like. But James says you shouldn't. You should look in the mirror and then turn around and remember what you look like. What do you see when you look in the mirror? I've had a really interesting week for mirrors at my house. I, I got new glasses, and I was feeling pretty good about these glasses. They're young, hip. I got a kind of a hipster look going, right? Felt good about the glasses. But I also this week broke down and bought ear and nose hair trimmers. <laughs> and that was not as cool an experience. Mirror, mirror on the wall, I've become my father after all. <laughs> when you and I look in the mirror, what we tend to see is our flaws. I'm too short, I'm too tall, I'm too fat, I'm too thin, I'm just like my mother, I'm nothing like my father. We tend to see in ourselves what we're not, and it bothers us. When the world looks at you and I, the world really sees us as a commodity, as something, not a person, but a thing, a voter, a customer, a consumer, a statistic, a supporter, a donor, an employee. It's easy for the world to treat us as things. It's easy for us to treat ourselves as everything we're not. But these are both warped views in the mirror. Like those goofy mirrors that you used to see at the fairs, you know? You'd walk by them and there'd be, you know, uh, 
short you and stumpy you, and then there'd be tall and lanky you, but it's just an illusion. For James, when you look into the perfect law, the mirror gets accurate. And what is he? He calls it the perfect law or the law of liberty. See, the Old Testament law, the Old Testament law, the, the purpose of that law was to make you understand that you're a sinner. Make you understand your need for God. But the problem with that law is it never allowed you to move past it. You were always trying to catch up. Always trying to sacrifice. Always trying to ask forgiveness. But, but James calls Jesus the law of liberty. That what happens is Jesus fulfills the law. So you don't have to be perfect because Jesus is perfect. Because of Jesus, you are not right now, as you look, a fair reflection of who you really are. Who you really are, according to this word, is holy and whole, perfect, loved, accepted, enough. All those things that are counter to all those voices you've heard in your life that have stuck with you that said something different. That's who you are. And when you look at the perfect law, you become a doer. See, see if, we, if you come to church and you look at what I'm, you hear what I'm saying to you, but you leave and you leave and live the same life you've always lived, you've missed it. You have totally forgotten who you really are. And you've bought into all the things that the world says that you are, that you're really not. You've got to be a doer. If this is for real, it's got to turn into action. You'll be blessed. Not, I think James is not saying that everything's going to go right for you if you start figuring this out. Every biblical character that I can find, that doesn't work out very well. But you'll be blessed because you're part of what God is doing and you know you're saved and you can live above some of the pain in your life. Verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. There's a word play going on in here. It doesn't, doesn't capture well in English. But the word religion is really based on the word to see. Okay, and, and we used to use the word observance, right? You observed holy days, you observed certain things. Services were observances. We don't use that term anymore, but that's where in the Bible the term religion comes from. Religion is the observance, the seeing, the watching. What James is saying is this what we do today, we're looking in the mirror. And when you open your Bible tomorrow, I hope, you're looking in the mirror. And when you're in prayer, you're in the mirror. You're constantly observing to see that reflection of who you really are in Christ. You come back to the mirror over and over again. That's why we do weekly worship. And so if you think you're religious, but you can't control your tongue, you've missed it. There's a very good metaphor, the idea of a bridle that can control a horse, right? Controlling your tongue. That's why I think he starts, remember, with that we should hear, we should listen, but be slow to speak. It's really easy to speak fast. It's really easy to have my own opinion before I listen. 
We do that with each other, and we do that with God too. If you're a real observer, though, if you're really a religious person looking into this mirror, it, it has to work differently. Pure and undefiled religion, according to James, is two things. First of all, staying undefiled. Keeping away from all the grossness that looks nothing like this true self. Whether those be people, whether those be um, ideas, whether those be all kinds of things. Keeping yourself undefiled. But also, the text says, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now, if you read that, it's just weird. We're not talking about orphans and widows. It's sort of like an out-of-left-field detail that James puts in his book here. Why does he do this? In those days, orphans and widows had no one to take care of them. No one. They had nothing. In fact, it's, it's, deacons are formed in the book of Acts be, to take care of widows. And Christians start the first orphanages and some of the first real efforts to see kids adopted. Because in those days, those people were worthless and had no one to protect them. And so we need as, to be as people of God, though, for though, there for those who are lost, who are broken, who are dirty in this world. And we need to visit with them. Not, not, not sending our check. Okay? Not going and giving advice. Going and visiting. Listening. Being around those people who are going through difficult times. Because, first of all, if we have looked in the mirror and we see ourselves as perfect and holy because of Christ... How can I then look at somebody who's my neighbor or my coworker and think that person's a jerk that's doomed to be a jerk forever? I wasn't doomed to be a jerk forever. I have to, if this gospel is right, start looking at people around me differently. I have to. But also, and this is really hard to explain if you've never experienced it, but if you're around somebody of affliction, it really does help shape how we view ourselves. For me, two of the most faith-shaping moments in my life were, first of all, uh, having a little brother with Down syndrome. Um, I don't know how to describe that to you if you've never been around them, but if you're around somebody who has special needs, the tendency is to think that they're less human, but it's the opposite. It's like they're more human because they don't have all the posing and all the pretending it, they're just them. And they're just accepting of you. It's different. No faking, no posturing. I had a similar experience when I did prison ministry. We have this sense that people in prison are terrible people, should be there forever, or just not human anymore. But when I went into prisons, I found that that wasn't the case. These were pretty normal people. And if I had been through a lot of the situations they were through, I'd probably end up a lot like they did. If God's love was for them, then it must be for me. And if God's love was for me, it must be for them. See, the mirror helps you change your image of other people, but I think being around people in affliction also helps shape the mirror. Also helps you understand better who you are. We have come to the mirror this morning. And the question of the day is, are you going to be a hearer who forgets or a doer who acts? 
The question of the Christian faith is not what you do on Sunday morning. It's what you do on Monday morning. What are you going to do to serve others this week? I don't think you necessarily have to go find somebody who has special needs or is an orphan or is poor. I bet you you have plenty of people in your world that are pretty broken just as they are. How about you visit with them this week? Don't ask them how they're doing and they say, okay, and you buy it when you know it's not true. Ask them and listen. Listen without advice. Listen without getting mad at them. Listen and visit. It has just a different impact on conversation. And don't forget who you are when you leave here. Don't forget who you are in Christ. Don't be like something that the world tells you that you are. Be who you are in Christ always. Go be a doer of what you have heard. Let us pray. Lord, there was a lot in this sermon. And so I pray this would be a sermon that sticks with people through the week. Don't let anyone here get away with being a hearer that doesn't do anything. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace. And we pray we would live into it every day. In Jesus' name, amen.